It is. Yeah. But I am thankful for the price that Christ paid for my soul. And we have a brand new year staring us in the face. And uh, I came to Paul while he was up here doing a song before the service. And I asked him, do you, uh, do you know the, uh, the song uh, Higher Ground? I mean, he looked up the... I think I, I said a, the first few lyrics out of a verse. I'm pressing on the upward way. And he says, yeah, I know that. I can't think of the name of it, but he, he, uh, he thought of it pretty quickly and changed the songs. I don't know if y'all noticed on your bulletin that the songs had been changed, but the title of my message this morning is Pressing On. And uh, as we enter into a new year, 2023, we as Christians need to do exactly what that song was talking about. Pressing on. New heights I'm gaining every day. Reaching forward and uh, with all of our heart, with all of our strength to uh, reach higher ground. Higher ground in the sense of not in elevation on the earth, but in elevation of heaven and glory and holiness and righteousness of the things that God has called us to be and commanded us to do, that we might be found more faithful. Well, here in Philippians chapter 3 is a testimony of Paul the Apostle and of who he used to be and uh, who he is or was at the time he wrote this and what it was that made the difference in his life. And of course, it was that uh, inescapable, unavoidable rendezvous that we have with God that made the difference. Uh, some of us have that inescapable, unavoidable rendezvous here in this life. Some of us won't have uh, the rendezvous, the meeting with God until we step out of this life and stand before Him at the great white throne judgment. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Paul was on that road. Of course, all of us were. You were on the road to Damascus, the same road that Paul was on. That road to Damascus that he was on, he didn't realize it at the time, but that road led to his salvation. But had he stayed on that road in the condition that he was in, going to Damascus to persecute Christians and to kill them and to throw them into prisons and to fight against this person that he hated, he loathed with all of his heart, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, had, uh, had He not ultimately turned away from that, then He would have had that rendezvous with God in the next life. Well, you look at uh, chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 1, and I'm just going to read through down to verse 8. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for your, for you it is safe. Now, what he's saying is what I say a lot of times behind this pulpit. I preach basically the same message, different wrapper. It's kind of like Christmas. You get the same stuff over and over and over. It's just uh, re-gifted and wrapped up in a new new present, a new gift, a new wrapper. And, and Paul is saying, I, it doesn't bother me. To keep telling you the same thing over and over and over. Because hopefully one day it will settle into your heart and not just in your brain. And that you'll, you'll be changed. You'll be drastically, radically 
changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he says this in verse 2, But beware of dogs. It's not hard for me to tell you the truth, but you've got to be careful because there are people out there that are sharing things other than the truth about Jesus Christ. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit, And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. There are those who say, well, as long as your good works outweigh your bad works, then you'll be all right. It's a works-based theology. You know, as long as I'm a little better than I am a little bad, then I get to go to heaven because I'm better than I was bad. And that's stinking thinking. Nobody goes to heaven by, well, everybody goes to heaven by good works. It's just not your good works. It was the good works of Jesus Christ, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection that he lived and died, shed his blood for our sins. And our confidence and and trust and faith in his finished work is all it takes for me to go to heaven. But these people were spreading a works-based salvation. Verse 4 says this, Though I have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof uh, he might trust in the flesh, I do more. Circumcised, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Now look, that is a hard truth for somebody to speak that I was blameless according to the law of God God let him get away with that but the Bible says there's none righteous no not one for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and Paul was not blameless he was not sinless though he looked at himself and believed in his heart that he was he was a very dedicated commitment sold out believer in Jehovah God and in the Jews religion but he was not sinless. And it says in verse 7, verse 6, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching, touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So what Paul's saying is there was a time in my life that I was living according to the Jews' religion, Judaism, and that I thought I knew God, and that I loved God, and that I was serving God, and I found out that I was wrong. I can look back in my life and say the same thing. I look back when I was baptized at seven years old in Parkview Baptist Church. Well, it was the first Baptist church in Tallulah, Louisiana. I was going to Parkview, uh, went forward and made a profession of faith there in that little church, but they didn't have a baptismal pool, so they took us over to the first Baptist church to be baptized. I went down a dry center. I came up a wet center, and I was just as lost when I came up as I was when I went down because I had no idea who Christ was. I didn't know who He was or what He did or why He did it. I didn't understand that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ was more than just a man. He was the God-man. I didn't understand those things. There's a lot of things here that this Pharisee, Paul, 
Saul at the time actually, that he didn't understand, even though he sat at the feet of some of the best teachers the world had ever known at that time. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel and listened to him preach and teach Judaism and the truths of the Word of God from the Old Testament. But now, all of a sudden, those truths of the Word of God in the Old Testament had become old hat. Because the Messiah, Jesus Christ, had come given up heaven, put on flesh, went to the cross, shed His blood, and died for our sins. And He was persecuting anybody that was following after the way. The way. Of course, I am the way, the truth, and the life is what Jesus Christ Himself said about Himself. Now again, He says, I'm suffering the loss of all of those things that I thought were gained to me when I was a Jew. Now I'm being persecuted by the people that I used to run with and that I used to persecute Christ and Christians with. Now all of those Judaizers, Judaizer believers of Jehovah God have now turned against me. And that's okay. I count it as gain. Whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in Him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now wait a minute. Are you telling me Paul is saying that he did not know Him? Well, do any of us know Him to the fullest degree yet? No, there's coming a day that I'm going to step out of this life into the next one. And the Bible says we shall know even as we also are known. That I will know God as well as He knows me. And He knows me and you completely, thoroughly. Everything about us. Every thought, every deed that not only we've already committed, or, but that we'll ever commit. He's already privy to all of those things that will be one day our lives. But we struggle and strive in the flesh to, to wrestle with the things of God. And, and uh, Peter, speaking of Paul, the apostle, when he wrote some of the deeper things of uh, the Word of God, says Paul uh, writes things that are hard to be understood. I can say amen to that because I wrestle with those things every day. In the Bible, striving and struggling and praying and seeking and begging God to open my heart and to give me light and to give me understanding. And it seems like I gain new light and I lose old. And, and no matter how much I progress, I stumble, falter and fail and, and reverse who I was from yesterday to who I am today. Instead of gaining, sometimes it feels like I'm losing ground new heights i'm gaining every day i wish that that were true but it says that i may know him in verse 10 and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death if by any means i might attain unto the resurrection of the dead now i want to share a few things out of these and we'll move forward in verse 12 but i want you to realize that Paul was a man of purpose. And when I say a man of purpose, I mean, you know, there was a book written by uh, Rick Warren that was called The Purpose Driven Life. 
We gave out thousands or hundreds, if not thousands, of those things in prison. I'm not really a big fan of Rick Warren or Purpose Driven Life because I, I don't, you know, I, I understand that the purpose that should be driving our life is the glory and honor of God. That that's what we should be laying our lives down every day, every single day. But Paul, listen, he was a purpose-driven man. But his purpose was off. Was it bad? No, it was about the glory and honor of Jehovah God. But in rejecting the Messiahship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he was failing at the purpose that his life was being driven by. And he came up short. He failed. He was on his way to Damascus with the purpose of imprisoning and even murdering Christians in order to silence this voice of, of this man named Jesus, the Nazarene. But instead of succeeding in his goal, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. When he was on the way to persecute Christians, Jesus showed up and he says, Saul, Saul. And he says, who art thou, Lord? And he says, it's me, Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Hard for thee to kick against the pricks, isn't it? And Paul says, oh, wait a minute, Lord, I know, no, you don't understand. I'm not here to persecute you, I'm here to persecute those Christians. Oh, I see. In persecuting them, I am persecuting you. You see, and that broke his heart when he realized that. And he cried out, what will thou have me do? You see, in that that in that one statement that Paul had, what wilt thou have me do? That was almost like the statement that I made in, in jail 36 years ago. When I asked God, what, what do you want from me? What do you want with me? He says, I don't want anything from you. I want you. Paul says, well, what, do you, what would you have me do? And of course, Jesus answered him and told him to go to such and such place at such and such time and such and such guy is going to be there and he's going to instruct you on the things that you must suffer for my name's sake. Suffer. Well, I'm not into suffering, Lord. That's not really my forte. <laughs> it's not what I'm good at. I would be better at persecuting rather than being persecuted. But if I must... Then I'll go where I'm sent, and I'll stay where I'm put, and I'll give what I got. I'll live my life. You see, that is surrender. That is submission. That is where salvation takes place. When God shows up in our lives, and we don't bat the ball back to Him, and and try to have a you know a, a, an argument with God the way that that Moses did. Well, you know, I'm not really a good speaker, Lord. I can't do that. Well, I'll send you know your with you, and Aaron. But ultimately, God chose exactly the right person. Not that I was worthy or that Moses was worthy or that Paul was worthy or that any of us are worthy of God's grace and mercy. But it's still God's purpose and God's business to have His will and His way in our life. You'll notice in verse 12 that it says this. Well, Read verse 11 one more time. If by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, 
but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Boy, that is a strong verse, a really couple of verses. One of the things that he said there that I, I am apprehended by Christ and I follow after, I'm chasing after Christ that I may apprehend that for which I was apprehended. See, Paul is saying that on the road to Damascus when Jesus showed up, I wasn't looking for Him. I was looking for Christians to persecute them, to murder them, to throw them in prison. And then all of a sudden Christ showed up in my life and He apprehended me. He caught me. I believe that every Christian has that absolute same testimony. Because the truth is that the Bible says there's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. We're not seeking after Christ when He saves us. Christ has already moved in our heart, illuminated our minds, and is drawing us to Himself. And we only submit and surrender to Him, not by us chasing after Him, but by Him chasing after us. I read a book one time called The God Chasers. My friend, I want you to realize something that the only reason any of us ever bend the knee and bow the head and seek God and chase after Him is because God did the same thing to us that He did to Paul on the road to Damascus. He shows up pursuing and chasing after, apprehending our heart and our mind and bringing us into submission on the road to Damascus, our road to Damascus, and bringing us to the point that we submit and surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Saul didn't seek God in Christ, but God sought Paul. And changed him. You see, God comes after you. And when He comes after you, you might as well raise your white flag. Amen. So He's better than Dudley Do-Right. He gets His man every time. He never fails when He is after someone. And then, not only do you see Paul was a man of purpose, that uh, had a purpose-driven life, but was, was lost, even though he had a purpose-driven life, we see that Paul responded to the call of Christ fervently. And I, I'm afraid that that word fervently, you see, that is something that we as the church are failing at today in our lives. Oh, we, it's almost like we are the church of the Laodiceans. We're not hot, but we're not cold. We believe, but we're really not overwhelmed and really dedicated and sincere to the things concerning chasing after God. But Paul responded, and he responded fervently to the call of Christ. You look again at that verse 12, and it says this, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. I follow after. I chase after God. If that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Are we really fervently chasing after Christ with all of our heart, all of our soul, all our mind? You know the first commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And that is what Paul is saying that happened to him on the road to Damascus. The moment that God showed up in my life, He changed my heart, He changed my attitude, He changed my direction, and now I can do no other 
than to chase after God with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of my being. I'm not apprehended that for which I was apprehended yet. I read that years ago and I says, wow, well, if Paul at this point in his life, if he if he's not being what God wants him to be, what hope do I have? What chance do I have of being the kind of Christian God would have all of us to be of Paul the Apostle that's gone on three missionary journeys and planted churches all over the then known world and has won thousands if not millions of people to the Lord and even baptized a few of them. Uh, the Bible says that Paul says, you know, I baptized Stephanas, I baptized this one, I baptized this one of any others. I, I know not whether I baptized or not, but God has not called me to baptize, but God has called me to be an evangelist, to be a leader of men, women, boys and girls to faith. In Jesus Christ. So I know this. That faith saves apart from baptism. Or Paul would have been baptizing every person. That he led to the Lord. Because he wants to know. That they're going to heaven. Baptism has no part of salvation. Baptism takes place after salvation. But it says that I follow after it. That I may apprehend. Now the NASB has a. A little different translation, it puts it like this. In order that I may lay hold of that which laid hold of me. In other words, or of that which I was laid hold of for. We, we are supposed to reach out and grab this life with both hands. For the cause of Christ. There are a lot of people who were reaching out and grabbing the world. And I'm talking about the world, this godless system. You know, money and pleasure and things and uh, even people. uh, We're all guilty to some degree. I probably put my wife on a little bit higher pedestal than I ought to. I love her with all of my heart. My grandchildren, my children. But there comes a point that we have to realize that Christ is to be first in our lives. Not second. Not, not certainly third or fourth or fifth or somewhere down the line if we you know, just cut our lives up into a, a pie and, and uh, we save a little sliver for, for Jesus on Sunday mornings and, that's, that's, and everything else is my life. No, Jesus is the plate that the pie rests in. He is my all, my everything. And without Him, me and my wife, we don't have a relationship. Without Him, me and my children, my grandchildren... <laughs> We're not what we could be or should be if I don't have Christ first in my life. And I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God other than Christ being the platter that holds the the pie, the cake, uh, together? Causes us to be able to run the race and to fight the fight and to be successful at doing it. Well, first of all, being seized by Christ is not the goal of the Christian life. Well, as long as I'm saved, 
You know, I, I got seized by Christ. Christ caught me, and I bent the knee and I bowed the head and I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I asked Him to forgive me of my sin, come into my heart, save my soul. And I know I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven, and and that's that's the biggest thing, right? Wrong. Well, I mean, it, it'll keep you from smelling like smoke. But after I'm a Christian, after I'm saved. What is the most important thing really in a genuine Christian's life? It's the glory of God. Remember what we said earlier about Paul and, and how his goal, he was goal-driven, purpose-driven, and the purpose of Paul's life that he, he said was that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Well, going to heaven is a, is a good thing. But you see, it's, it's more than that. When you look at uh, what it says in verse 8, it says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss. So one of the goals, one of the purpose, my purpose-driven life is to count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, that I might bring Him glory and honor uh, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That is the goal, the purpose-driven life of any Christian. Now, a lost person, their purpose-driven life should be to uh, apprehend Christ or to be apprehended of Christ. But once they are apprehended, once we become a Christian, you look at verse 9, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law as a Jew, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is by faith in God, and faith by God alone, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering may be made conformable unto his death, if by any means, then yes, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Is the goal the same for every Christian life? Well, every Christian purpose and person, um, in, in a way, yeah, I, I guess that it is. But in other ways, it's different. You know, I... I know that I have a different calling in my life by God than you do. God has called me. I served 25 years as a chaplain out at the prison. I've been here behind this pulpit or the one down the street for 22 years. But God has a purpose for your life. Maybe a little different than mine, but I guarantee you we all have one thing in common as Christians the purpose for my life and the purpose for your life is to bring glory and honor to God. Again, I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. What are we doing when we do that? We're bringing glory and honor to God with our lives. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the perfect will of God is that you might glorify Him with every ounce, every inch, every fiber of your being, that you will live a life that is pleasing to God. Thirdly, Paul was a man of purpose. Paul responded fervently to the call of Christ in his life when he showed up on the road to Damascus. And is the goal the same for every Christian life? Of course, we say sometimes, yeah. But, you know, specifically, no. For that no time should we think that we have reached the goal. I know a lot of people who say that I've arrived. 
You know, I'm there. Even Paul didn't say that. Remember what I said? I couldn't believe that Paul, at this stage of his life, says he's still chasing after God, that he might apprehend one day that for which he was apprehended. After the life that he has already lived for the glory and honor of God, and ultimately will lose his head over. They behead him for his faith. He dies for his faith. I guess maybe then he felt like he had achieved that for which he was apprehended. My friend, I, I, uh, I believe with all of my heart that this book is so rich, so deep, so beyond our capacity without the Holy Spirit of God living in us to comprehend and to understand. If we think that we have arrived, what we're ultimately saying is that, well, I, I, know, I know the Word of God. I know it all. Now, my friend, I know nobody in here wants to be a know-it-all. None of us know it all. There's so very little of it that we actually know. And we should make a fresh commitment to the Lord this year. To God, I want to press forward. I want to press on. I want to be better this year than I was last year. I want to be more faithful to You, to Your will, to Your way, to Your Word this year than I was last year. I'm willing to chase after you with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of my being and surrender my life to your Lordship. I made that commitment to the Lord this morning. And I hope that you have made that commitment. A rededication of your heart and your life to the Lordship. Not to salvation. You know, you can't. Once you're saved, you're always saved. I understand what eternal security and what once saved, always saved means. And I'm not crazy about the terminology of once saved, always saved, even though I, I believe that it's true. I like the phrase, terminology, eternal security. See, I am eternally secure, not in what I do, but in what He did. And He purchased me. He caught me. He he did the same thing that he did to Paul on the road to Damascus. I chase after that I may be apprehended for that which I was apprehended. And anybody that is saved realizes that they weren't looking for God. Well, yes, I came to church. I was, yeah, but why did you come? God had already moved in your heart. And you may not even realize it, but God was chasing after you. That changed your heart and changed your mind and gave you the desire to come to this house and to seek after God. God had already moved and regenerated and done a work in your heart that brought you to that point. And now when you bend the knee and bow the head and surrender, please let it be radical. Let it be a life changing, not just you know something that changes a little bit in your mind or in your heart but it changes your feet and your mouth and your hands and everything that there is about you to change we shouldn't waste time thinking that we've already reached our goal and lastly the christian life must have a purpose you look at verse 14 it says i press toward the mark for the prize. The prize. What is the prize? Is heaven your goal? Is heaven your prize? To me, that's just the icing on the cake. Amen. What is the cake? Boy, Jimmy brought a pound cake to Sunday school this morning. It was wonderful. It's the, like the third time I've eaten 
that pound cake and it gets better every time I eat a piece of it. And I stole a piece of my wife's. I took her last bite off of her plate while she wasn't looking. And I was thankful because hers was a little better than mine and I said so. Jimmy's wife says no it wasn't because that wasn't the crusty stuff on the top. (laughs) I got a piece of the bottom corner of her cake. You see it was that crusty stuff on the top of that pound cake and it is so sweet and so good. That's heaven. That's heaven. But what about the cake underneath? Boy it was so good. It's really good. And you see that's our life. That should represent our life for Christ. That we're seeking after Him with all of our heart and everything that we are. And I know that it's not going to be as sweet here as it will be sweet there. But it still can be better here than it was last year or the year before. Jimmy says, well, I can't get no better at making this cake than I already make it. It's as good as it gets. Well, no. Have you tried every, every seasoning in the pantry that you could add to it to sweeten it or make it a little bit better or a little bit different texture? But I'm telling you, you're probably right. That's as good as it's going to get, Jimmy. It was good. But I'm just saying that we can tweak our Christian life. And if we love Him, we can do better than we have done in the past. I press toward the mark. Did you know that that's only found right here in Scripture? That, that, is, that mark is talking about a goal or a target. Back then they would take that bow and arrow and they would set a target up so far away. They could see the target, but by the time the arrow got there, they couldn't see the arrow. And they wouldn't know whether they had hit the target or not. And they would set somebody down there by the target, of course a few feet away from it, that were inside of it, that when the target landed, they would yell back at them as to whether they were... Accurate or not. If it fell short, they would holler back, sin. Sin! And what does that mean? Well, you didn't shoot to the left, you didn't shoot to the right, you didn't hit the target, you didn't shoot over it. But you fell short. And they would know exactly what they meant. And you see, we set a goal, we set a target up in our Christian lives. You know what the target is, right? The image and reflection of Christ. Christ Himself is our example. And any time we fall short of being exactly like Christ, it's called sin. You say, well, are you telling me that I can be sinlessly perfect? Well, yeah, I believe that we can. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I say that all the time. The Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of me. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. I I can. Will I? No. I'm sure I won't. Can I do better? Can I do better? Will I do better would be the better question. Am I willing in 2023 to put forth the effort to do better? than I did in 2022 or in any other year of my life. As Christians, we must, and remember the title, press on. Uh, Verse uh, 1, I believe it was. No, verse... uh, I don't remember. But of course, it does talk about Paul pressing towards the mark of the high calling 
of Jesus Christ. And my friend, we we need to press on towards our goal. That means to, to be diligent and exercise. Um, when Teresa was working and she was gone for a week and home a week, the week that she was gone, I would go to the gym five and sometimes six days a week. He going to blame it on me. I heard her. <laughs> no, baby, I'm blaming it on me, but it's because I can't, I can't get away from you long enough to go to the gym. Amen. But uh, I go five and six days a week. But when she's home, you see, I'd only go one or two days a week. And no, I'm not, not blaming on you. But uh, now that you're home all the time, I notice that that becoming a habit. You see, we do the same things. There are things that, that we love more than we love doing what Christ expects from us. And, and we write it off as, well, He understands. Yeah, He does. That's actually a scary thought. That He understands we love something more than we love Him. That we're more willing to be dedicated than other things besides Him. We press towards the goal, pushing with all of our strength to hit the target, to reach the goal, to run the race, to fight the fight. We need to be both purposeful and have perseverance, consistency in our lives in order to do that. I hope that you'll join with me in 2023 and make a commitment, a fresh commitment to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and your mercy. God, thank you for this time together. We ask that you'll forgive us for our sin. Help us, God, to press towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ, the calling that you gave in our lives when you called us out of darkness into light, when you saved our souls and forgive our sins. God, help us to realize the, the weight of that. God, the cost and the price of that. And be willing to sacrifice to pay the price ourselves to bring glory and honor to you. And we'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.